I'm really excited to get into our topic today. It's one that I'm very passionate about, and that is uh, the art of neighboring. Uh, it doesn't matter if you live in an apartment building, out on a farm, uh, where you're a little further away from people, we all have neighbors. Now, some of us have good neighbors. Some of us have neighbors who, well, not quite our favorite people, maybe we might say, but whether we like it or not, the people who rent or buy homes near us, the people who live homeless near us, those people are all our neighbors. And they may play a part in our life in a big way, in a much smaller way, but it's really important for us to consider how we think about them. And we'll go into why in a little bit. But for just a moment, I want you to picture your neighborhood. Picture the cars on the street. Picture the houses on the side of the road. Maybe the doors or the driveways that you see. Now picture your neighbors. Who are they? What do they look like? What are their names? What's your relationship with them? Maybe on a scale from 1 to 10, what's your relationship with them like? Good, bad, and indifferent maybe? What do you like about your relationship with your neighbors? What do you dislike about your relationship with your neighbors? I want you to remember that as we talk today and think about how at the end, maybe at the end of our time together today, come back to that picture, to those faces, to those conversations that maybe you've had and consider how what we talk about today can apply to you and the people in those houses and those rooms. I'm fortunate I live on a street where we get to interact with a lot of our neighbors uh, it's intentional, we, we put ourselves out there, but we also have some great neighbors, for the most part, to interact with. We live on a street that's multi-generational, a lot of multi-family living. There's uh, tiny little young babies all the way to our oldest neighbor is 92, retired professor who immigrated to teach at SFU. We, we've got the whole gambit. I mean, everything in between, every category you could define for your neighbors. And over the last year and a half, we've come to really love this place that we currently live, and we've made it a mission to get to know them. I can tell you about Chelsea and Troy and Sandeep and Parv. I can tell you about Matt and Cheryl. I can tell you about Tom and Christy. I can tell you about Rob and Heather. I can tell you about Mike and Stacy, Ryan and Terry and Irene. I can tell you about uh, Linnea, I can tell you about Ram and his wife, I can tell you about Felix and Rose, I can tell you about uh, Mike and, and Karen, I can tell you about all of these people, not because I'm amazing, but because I've taken the time to get to know them, to try to live out a scriptural command that Jesus calls you and I to. We've made it a mission to put on different events in our neighborhood. We throw Christmas and Halloween events. We join in on running block parties. We spend time out in our front yard instead of the back one. And we invite hordes of small children to come create chaos in our house in every room almost every single day of the week. And you know what's been awesome is that it has been an immense blessing to us. 
We've been blessed by people who have gone from strangers to acquaintances to friends in a, a very short period of time. We've been blessed to, to get to lean on people when we need someone to rely on. And we've gotten to be blessed by being the person to lean on when others have gone through difficult things too. We've been blessed to see how God's been at work in the hearts of our neighbors as we've tried to plant seeds at appropriate times in relationship with them. It's been a real blessing to try to live out God's command for me and you. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up to Matthew chapter 22. And, and there we're going to go to this passage where Jesus talks about loving our neighbor. I want you to notice as we read this very simple few verses that Jesus doesn't say, I want you to love your good neighbor. He doesn't say, I want you to love your neighbor who fits in line with the stage of life that you find yourself in. No, we see that he calls us to everyone, those we live and play with, those we live and reside around. I want you to consider the level of importance that Jesus places on this. In Matthew chapter 22, we're in the section where we find Jesus has been going around getting challenged quite a bit about what it looks like to live in his kingdom. And at this particular instance, he's kind of going back and forth with some of the religious teachers. And as we read in verse 35 here, it says that an expert in the law has come up to test him in this. And we see he says this in verse 36. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? in the law. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, over the last couple of weeks as we've been in this series on relationships, we've, we've looked at kind of two of three parts of these two commands. We looked in, and questioned ourselves in what is, it, what is my relationship like with God? Because if the, the greatest thing that I can do is love God with all of me, I need to take time to consider that. Last week, we, we looked at part two, which is cannot, tied to this loving our neighbor, and we asked our question, how do we value ourselves? If Jesus says, I want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself, we need to look at our own value, how God sees us, how God wants to define not just us, but neighbor. And so now we have to move from those first two parts into the next piece, which is how do we move from loving you to loving those around you? As we consider that, I want you to consider this idea of lesser and greater commandments. I remember the first time that struck me, I thought it was really weird. I mean, God commands us to do all these things, but here in this one specific instance, he says, these are greater than all the others. Love God and love others, just as you would love you. Now, this doesn't mean Jesus was saying, hey, there's ones that I want you to pay attention to and ones I want you to ignore. It wasn't like you need to stop at a red light and it's okay sometimes to roll on through that yield sign. No, that's not sort of what he's saying. He's saying, no, there's certain commandments that all the other ones hang on to. They're built off of. These are the ground foundation. If you want to build the house of your life of following God, these are the concrete that's sunk into the ground that you want to be firm on. Everything else will go up from there. 
Ultimately, everything we're desiring to do as we go through the sermon series, as we talk today and in everything that we do as a church is, is to build upon those two foundations. We're talking about loving our neighbor as ourselves this week because we're going to go into to marriage and parenting and dealing with family members who are, who are dying and suffering. We're going to talk about some other things, dealing with relational conflict in a number of weeks. But all those things flow through these first two commands. And so we got to take it seriously. So what does it mean to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? I mean, this is the second greatest command, Jesus says. This is the important mix in the concrete of your foundation. You know, for most of us, we think of a good neighbor as someone who's polite. You know, they don't even need to necessarily wave in the driveway, but, you know, they're, they're not rude. We, we think of somebody who maybe doesn't throw loud parties, or if they throw a party, it dies down at exactly 9.30 or whenever our bedtime is, because that's what good neighbors do. Think about someone who keeps their, their yard nice and tidy and doesn't make the, the neighborhood look like a dump. We think about someone who shovels their sidewalk in the winter so the old lady up the street doesn't fall, right? That this is what a good neighbor is. And so I guess on, on the service level, we say that's what loving our neighbor is. It's doing those things. It's being polite, it's shoveling a sidewalk, it's keeping our lawn mowed, it's all these sort of things. And, and those things are all true. Those things are all good. But is that what loving you looks like? Last week, we looked at this idea of viewing ourselves the way Scripture wants us to. And when, hopefully the walk away, if you remember from that, is that we are beautifully and wonderfully made bearers of the image of God. It's to say that we were sculptures who were made to show the characteristics of who God is. That's a wonderful way to view ourselves because it gives us worth, it gives us value, it gives us principle, it gives us purpose. But what's important is it's not just one statue. It's eight billion statues that are existing around the world, each one designed to reflect who God is, to draw us into him. And so I think that's a really key part of how we can start to consider loving our neighbor. How would we want to treat the one who bears the image of God? And we need to carry that through not just with our good neighbors, but with our ones who are a little bit tougher to love. I heard a pastor recently say, when they're not on your mind, they're on your nerves. I had a chuckle at that too, right? And it's kind of true, isn't it? You know, the people who are just like a stranger or an acquaintance, they drive us nuts a whole lot more than even the friend or, or closer person to us who, who we have a little bit more of depth of relationship with. Because maybe it explains what's going on. When someone cuts you off randomly as you drive down the highway, you're really angry. When someone cuts you off as they're racing in to come to the church parking lot, suddenly your reaction changes a little, doesn't it? Because there's something you empathize with. There's something that you connect with. There's something to engage with there. It's true that we need to keep people in mind so they don't get on our nerves, but I think it goes beyond that. 
I think God wants us to go further. He says, I want them to be not just on your mind, but in your heart as well. When we search for what God has placed in people, and we consider that, it changes our view towards them. Instead of being mad at our neighbor because they fill in the blank, we end up seeing the good, and then our heart ends up breaking instead of raging at them. I remember in uh, the townhouse complex we lived before where we live right now, we had these neighbors who, who the side unit of their house faced ours, and it would drive me crazy that they smoke pot all day long, and that you could just smell it wafting through into our girls' windows, and, and, and that would just drive me nuts until I got to know them, until I started to relate with them, and it still wasn't my favorite thing, you know, it didn't just suddenly change from smelling like weed to cotton candy, and the Lord changed all that, but, you know, it changed how I saw them, and I began to realize they had a lot of hurt in their life, and instead of getting angry at them, I saw them with the image of God built in them, and my heart was broken for the pain they carried. And it changed the relationship, and, and it wasn't perfect, and I screwed up many times along the way, but it changed something in that relationship. I think as we consider our neighbor, if we can come down to the base root, to saying you were designed by God in line with what Scripture said, whether or not I like you, it's going to change my perception of you. It's going to change how I perceive your hurts and problems. It's going to change how I decide to act towards you. Because I see the value. I see the love that's supposed to be there. The, the value and love that's supposed to be within me in the way that God sees. So I'd encourage you, when, as you drive down your street or you pull into the parkade of your apartment complex today and walk past all those rooms as you get off the elevator, I encourage you to question and look inside for just a moment and say, what has God put of himself into that neighbor? And that one, and that one, and that one. And begin to see, begin to love, and see how that transforms things. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and love yourself as I love you. As we consider that, I would encourage you to also then seek from that place, seek for your neighbor what you would seek for yourself. To love others as ourselves means to do the things that we would do to care for ourselves, to try to build our life to a place of flourishing. We all want the best for ourselves, and so it's to seek those things that we would desire for ourselves and bring them to other, to neighbor, to friend, to coworker classmates. To love our neighbor as ourselves is to consider the desires that are fundamental to who we are and to try to fulfill those in everyone else. For instance, we all have a desire for a meaningful and significant relationship. We all want a community that values us, that accepts us, that walks through us, through the highs and lows. We all want other people alongside of us who want us to flourish and grow. So for us to love our neighbor as ourselves means to seek that community for someone else. Perhaps by offering ourselves into relationship with them. We all have a desire for good quality of life, for having healthy food to eat, for seeing our basic needs met. 
Do I have something to offer for that neighbor who's struggling, who's maybe not got all that I want for myself in any part of their life? Even consider that neighbor who doesn't own a home. We all desire to have a home that's not falling apart, with decent clothes to wears, with pleasant people around us, and we desire those things, so why don't we desire them for others? It's been this command that's changed a lot of my life and my wife's life as we've tried to adopt this lifestyle more and more over the last number of years. And honestly, it's made a huge difference, as I said, not just in their lives, but in ours, as we've experienced the blessings of seeing what God can do and, and reap the reward of having friends in our neighbors. You know, one of the things that we've always wanted to see and be a part of is, is a community that actually spends time with each other. You know, we're told that our house is our castle, you know, and, and, and for most of us, we would rather surround our castle with a moat and a dragon and a drawbridge, and we want to keep everyone else out. But I've realized how harmful that is to me and how that actually just locks up all the filth inside instead of allowing the goodness to come in. And so as we've pursued this idea of bringing community connection and opening the drawbridge and draining the moat, we've been able to see great things come of it. It's why in the summer we help set up block parties with our neighbors and, and why in sometimes we've had outdoor movie nights. It's why in Halloween, instead of just sitting inside until the doorbell rings we set up a couple fire bowls and and chairs for the neighbors to come sit in it's why at christmas time we we send out our kids with invitations to every neighbor because honestly the neighbors are going to come for our kids before they come for us uh but you know we're going to come and we're going to invite them hey come for a, a cup of hot chocolate and and listen to music and 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 just come meet the neighbors spend time with them and it's amazing how that changes the dynamic in your neighborhood. Do you remember a couple months ago when uh, it was snowing like a ton and it took forever to shovel anything? Like, I, I don't remember how many weeks ago that was, but, but it was uh, incredible, right? And, and I was out shoveling my sidewalk and I, I knew across the street, my, my friend Tom had pneumonia and so I'd go out and, and shovel his sidewalk and, and his driveway. But, but what struck me wasn't that, it was the fact that I looked down a couple doors and I saw this woman shoveling her neighbor's sidewalk. And why that was so incredible is because this couple who lived in this home three doors down from us, they had never, even though they were originals on the street, really got into community with the people who live there now. And so she didn't know her neighbors, and these neighbors of hers had moved in about a year and a half uh, before this, and, and she had never got to know them. But we decided to have this Christmas party right before the snowfall, and and. For some reason, because our kids went to their door, they decided that they would come to this party. They're like, well, I guess cute kids asked us, we have to go, that would be the polite thing to do. And so uh, they, they decided, yeah, maybe we'll come. And then even, even the night of, they told me they, they thought about not coming. But then they decided to. And they decided to come, and as they came over, they saw sort of the party, the lights, the music, not too loud to annoy the neighbors who don't want to come. But, you know, they, they came in, and, and they sat down, and, and 
amazingly, and I believe God orchestrated this, she ends up sitting down to the neighbor she's never met. She's never met these folks. And what she doesn't know is in that moment, she's going to begin to care. Because Parva's got an injury. And she's struggling as a mom to go to work and drive her kids to school and get by. And, and as they begin to have this conversation, her heart begins to open up. And so when it snows, she goes for the very first time and shovels beyond her sidewalk. She begins to shovel to neighbors. This is how our community grows. This is how things begin to flourish and change in our community. You know, it's something simple. It's something that sometimes we can write off, but we talk about all the time as a church that we want to see God's kingdom grow, that we want to see seeds planted. But it's from these sort of things that those things begin to grow, and these opportunities begin to be taken. For instance, in our life, on the other side, we, as we moved in, it was the summertime, and the, the, our yard was in a bit of a state of disrepair, and so we began to talk to our neighbors. And uh, at the same time that we moved in, a neighbor moved in across the street, and, so we, and they needed to do the same sort of thing, clean up the yard that had been neglected over time. And, and so we decided we're going we're gonna to have conversation. And when they're working outside, we're going to go outside. And, and slowly, a relationship began to grow. We'd, bore we'd borrow tools or we'd ask questions and advice. Uh, he grew up on a farm and, and he had some things to talk about how to grow and how to deal with certain pests and all this kind of thing. And, and this relationship also began to grow. Not only did our yard begin to look better, but our lives did too. Slowly, those conversations uh, on the sidewalk became inviting someone over for, you know, cheap pizza and a movie for the kids. It became an opportunity to show that we cared when difficult times are happening just to be a listening ear. But one of the really cool things that got to happen is they begin to realize that we cared for their kids. And so when it came time for an opportunity for us to invite our neighbors to our our neighbor kid to our summer kids camp the year after, we just said, hey, can she go? And now they're pretty, a little skeptical about church. They grew up in stuffy church and don't really have any affiliation and, and don't want to, but they're not against it and they knew we, we cared and it would be a good opportunity for the kid to go to something with their friend. And so they said, yeah, that's all right. She can go. And so she came to camp. And she heard about the gospel. Then she came back uh, for Camp Sunday and came up on stage and did the actions and began to sing. And it was incredible because now she calls this church her church. This kid who didn't really ever go to church much before that. And on top of that, her mom came in on that Sunday. A mom who had grown up in a stuffy church with itchy dresses and didn't have all that much great to say. And her view was changed. This church is a lot different than what I expected, she told us, after she came and attended. And while we have yet to see the fruit of that completely grow, what we have come to this place of knowing is that God worked through our diligence towards the end of loving our neighbor to begin to plant seeds that he can grow. 
And I trust that God's going to do that. I, I see the roots of it. I see the receptiveness to talk about our faith and stuff grow. And, and this begins to be something that cultivates something in their heart. I believe genuinely the best way that we can lead others to know Jesus is through relationship through actual proximity with people and when it becomes a genuine expression of what's dearest to us that, that, that they begin to receive it and say hey this is something you value I'll give it an opportunity and then we trust to let God grow but in order for us to do that we also need to be careful to let go of feeling threatened by our neighbors we need to let go of the sinfulness that takes root in our heart as we consider others you know it is a little bit threatening to consider serving others to the capacity that we would want to see ourselves served to giving of ourselves so much to see our desires come first in their lives that's threatening because why it means I have to use my resources for someone else I have to use my time that's limited for someone else I have to put myself out when I'm exhausted it means I have to let in other people's mess that I didn't deserve right there's this this thing that rises up in us right I remember uh, the movie uh, about a boy right and he says uh, I would love to be an island you know, he quotes, a man is an island. And he says that he wants to fortress up himself. But that's actually a sinful desire because it goes against the commands of God. God said, I want you to love others as yourself. This is the second greatest commandment. So when we say no, we sin. We go against what God wants us to do for building a foundation in our lives of what it looks like to live after him. One writer calls this one of the most radical of commands. And he says it's radical because of this. Quotes on the screen. It says, it, because it cuts to the root of our sinfulness and exposes it. And by God's grace, hopefully we'll sever it. The root of our sinfulness is the desire for our own happiness apart from God and apart from the happiness of others in God. Our sinful nature tells us, do what you want for your happiness and don't worry about God and don't worry about your neighbors. Our sinful nature says you're too busy to chat. Our sinful neighbor says, go in your backyard instead of your front yard where the fence is a little higher. Our sinful nature tells us to disregard that neighbor's problem because it's their own fault and it's their own doing and you don't have time to deal with it. Our sinful desire says, take care of what's mine and let go of what is theirs. But the problem with this is, not only does it blatantly disregard the command that God gave, it blatantly is a slap in the face against what God himself has done. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live up to as best as possible the example of that God has set for us. God's example was exactly the opposite of what we want to do. You know, God in himself is community. We believe that we worship a triune God, Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit in himself, completely self-contained, self-existing, has all the knowledge, all the love, all the grace, all the gentleness, all the provision, all the blessing, all the community that he needs. So when we come in as people who were created by him and sinned, and began to wreck our own lives and the lives of others and the planet we live on and the communities that we were meant to be in, we could have been left on our own. God in his own right didn't need anything from us. There was no reason outside of what was in him and who he is to actually be involved. But God did the opposite of what I know I would do. God chose out of his love to send his son to live in the mess, to die for the people who made it, and to rise again so that they could know what it meant to be with him, what it meant to experience all the blessing, all the fulfillment of desires, all of that community and love. Knowing that we could never experience it on our own, Jesus went to the cross and took on all the pain and all the suffering that we had done so that we could get a glimpse on this earth and then get a full view of it in eternity because of his love. Because he himself lived on this foundational commitment to not just be love in and of himself, but to love that which he created. Loving our neighbor, then, is a tangible outward expression of trying to be like Jesus, of trying to receive a little bit more of what God has done. This is the answer to why we do it. You know, we can talk about how, we can talk about it's a command and we should be obedient, but the why is we have a God who has done something so compelling that we should want to be drawn in because it's an opportunity to know him and his heart and his love and his design. It's for us to be able to partly experience that thing we pray for. We pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. This is our opportunity to join with God in bringing his kingdom in every single one of our streets, in every single apartment building, farm, all over this community. Why do we do it to experience who God is, to worship him, and to live out his commands so that we can have a foundation built, which is good? So how do we do it? How do we do it? That's the next question that comes to my mind. Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is accept that God has placed you with a people. Some of us end up living in places that we don't necessarily want to be. Some of us live next to neighbors with people we don't want to live beside. Some of us go to work with people we don't particularly like or go to school with people we don't like or whatever. We, we end up on a, a sports team with, with some people we don't necessarily like. But God has called you to that place. God has called you to this time. God has called you to these people. A while ago we were studying the book of Acts and, and there's this part that we didn't spend a lot of time on but it's incredibly powerful 
It comes from Acts uh, chapter 17, where we read that Paul is instructing the people of Athens about who God is, and he tells them that the whole of their lives, every part of their existence is in God's hands, that he gives us more than just life and breath. He says this in verse 26 and 27, from one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And get this next part. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from anyone. God marked out exactly where you live right now. And God did that exact same thing for all your neighbors. Whether you like it or not, whether this is a temporary stop or a long one, God has placed you in a place with a people for his purpose. That people would know who he is. That they would reach out and find him because he's never very far away. You and I are a tangible presence of the God who loves every one of those people who are placed exactly where they are. You're in the middle of that space to be able to be the one to open up the door to allow them to experience what God is speaking in those verses. He said, I've put you here for a purpose, with a plan for these people so that they would know me. It gives us a great sense of purpose and joy. Again, it even helps us to see even the most difficult or the most needy of neighbors in a very different way. There are people that we are reaching for God because he said and put us there. And you know what? That actually gives me a lot of confidence. Sometimes it can be really scary to build a relationship with your neighbors. Sometimes it can be incredibly awkward, especially if you've lived there for a really long time and haven't got to know those neighbors. It it, it doesn't prevent people from rejecting you, but it's still a bulletproof situation. Why is it bulletproof? Because we're told that God will accomplish all his plans and purposes. That God will work everything. The rejection of you, those awkward conversations you're going to have, those uh, uncomfortable friendships, maybe some of the mess that are going to flow in. He works all those things together for the good of those who love him according to his plan and purpose. So as you and I seek to worship God with these people, we can have assurance that we're placed with the people for a purpose, for a time, to accomplish his plan, which cannot be undone. So I would encourage you, as you consider that, as you begin to maybe accept that because it's hard and you don't like where you live or you don't like your neighbors, to go from stranger to acquaintance to friend. There's a process that we go through in relationship, and it's one that takes intentional effort, intentional planning, pouring out of ourselves, but we're called to that, to move from stranger to acquaintance to friend. All of our neighbors start out as strangers. Probably never met them before. We move in, so they move in, so we have some type of interaction on the street, whatever it is, they stay as strangers, really. 
But what are we going to do with that? Well, we need to begin to know them. We need to begin a conversation. It starts with maybe a simple hello. Maybe it's like me, and it starts with borrowing a pole saw from your neighbor Tom because you want to cut down some branches. And then from there, a conversation grows. Perhaps it's when you're out walking down the street and you see someone struggling, working on something in their yard to actually stop and not just say hello, but to get involved. Ask people their names. Introduce yourself. Ask their story. Yeah, you can't, don't go after it all in one meeting because you're going to freak them out. But, you know, like begin to allow the relationship to grow. And perhaps you'll move then from a stranger to an acquaintance. Now, being in the acquaintance stage is, is the worst part, I think. It's the most awkward, isn't it? You know, like where you're just like, I kind of know these people and maybe know a bit of their story. But uh, how do we... Go forward from here, we can say hello in the driveway or in the elevator, but getting beyond that, well, well, we need to actually put ourselves in a place where I think we need to investigate what God has built into them. Think of it as a bit of like a treasure hunt in relationship. As we begin, if you're not sure what questions to ask, ask questions that will help reveal who the person is. Ask them questions of things that might be meaningful to them. And then spend time with them. Perhaps it's in meeting their needs. Perhaps it's they, they, they just need some community. Invite them over for a cup of coffee and dessert. Maybe they're really struggling with something and they have a resource need and there's a way that you can either help them get connected or pour out of yourself and, and then meet them in that need there. And it's amazing, isn't it, how those types of small actions can uh, be a catalyst for a relationship to grow into your friends? All of us, all of our friends were strangers, then were acquaintances, and then began to grow. Just reverse engineer that a little bit, and you'll begin to see the things that make friendship and begin to work on those things. It can take just a little bit of creativity, and you can have a whole lot of fun doing it. We like having parties, and so we throw them. And it doesn't take anything more than some dollar store lights, a Bluetooth speaker, and a few packets of hot chocolate to invite your friends over or your neighbors over to become friends. But as you do that, consider every opportunity. If that weighs on your mind, if that seems heavy on your heart, that seems to be a burden on your time or your wallet, as an opportunity to build your foundation, to worship the God you love, Consider it an opportunity to invite yourself in to the person of character of Jesus so that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and allow you to know who he is as these relationships grow. And then as you invite these people in and you invite God in, allow God to do the work and provide the wonder. And I promise it'll be a whole lot of fun because God promises blessing and community. He promises his faithfulness as we test him in the things that are hard to do. And he promises us that his plans and his purposes will work together for the good of us as we try to help his kingdom grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. God, I thank you that you have given uh, a clear vision in your word for what it looks like for us to flourish and to have a good foundation in our life. God, it doesn't mean it's not hard. 
God, that doesn't mean people aren't difficult. But Lord God, it means you are really good. And God, I pray for everybody in here today that we would begin to accept that, that we would begin to live in that, not just from a place of obedience, but a place of love and joy and hope. God, I thank you for the people in this church who love their neighbor. God, I pray that they would just continue to grow. God, I pray that they would continue to meet you in their love of neighbor. And God, would you flourish friendships? Would you cultivate community? Would you bring your tangible presence in their life? And God, would they get to know you more? And would you be worshiped in that? God, for those who are scared in this, God, I just pray that you would uh, move them and allow them to see your sacrifice as an opportunity to step in and let them know that your, your spirit, Holy Spirit, that you are with them. And with that, take down some of the walls and some of the fear. And as they step out to meet neighbors, maybe that have been around them for a long time that they don't know, or neighbors, that God, they're really hard to love. And God, would you work in those situations and would they trust in your promises that you work together all things for the good of those who love you, that you will accomplish your plans and purposes, that you will light our path as we try to follow you. And God, in all of this, we pray for more of your kingdom to come, more of your will to be done in Abbotsford as it is in heaven. God, we want to see more of you. We want to see our neighbors begin to love you. We want to see our community shaped around the principles and foundations of what it means to love you and love others. And God, we want to be the catalyst in that. So Lord God, would you help us to take those steps? Would you help us to grow your community? Would it be your presence that would be tangible on every street and every home in this city? And God, would we just get to enjoy being part of the process? Would we enjoy getting to watch you grow your kingdom? So God, we pray for blessing upon our neighbors this week. For those who know you, I just pray that they would know you deeper because of our relationship with them. God, for those who don't know you, that our neighbors in this community would would begin to, to follow you. God, we pray for 65% of our city who does not know you, who does not follow you, who does not worship you. Lord, we, change, we pray for, for that number to diminish, for more and more people to love you, God. So Heavenly Father, be with us as we go this week to be lights. Lord God, would we take the torches that we have lit in here today out into our community, and God, would you, you grow a fire by your spirit that would sweep across our city, that would sweep across the communities that surround us as your kingdom grows. We thank you that you invite us into this, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.